This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 76. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back Defenders, this is Chris taking the reins again, once again in the second episode of Luke Cage. That is season one, episode two, Luke Cage. Oh, it's a goodie. Uh, as I said, I'm Chris and we've got the rest of our hosts here. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. Hi, and I'm rounding out the group, John, number three. Mm-hmm. We just call him with the number three, that's it. He's a minion now, he doesn't even I get am. the name. <laughs> it's just number three. <laughs> <laughs> I guess in Star Trek that'd be like working in engineering or something. Yeah, like I'm a I'm a red shirt. <laughs> oh no! I will fall off the top of a building. Uh, well, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Yeah. We've got another As a red shirt. <laughs> we've got another eleven episodes to yeah, go here, John. We need exactly. you. We need you. <laughs> so I guess we're back with episode two, Code of the Streets. Yeah, I really like this. I have to say, the Code of the Street. I like that mm. idea of the code and. Even amongst thieves or, or whatever, that when it's broken, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, completely. This, even though I did call parts of this episode, mm-hmm. uh, it still stung. It was such a fantastically shot episode, I think. And I think just even the use of the camera in this one, mm-hmm. what the camera was a thematic device. And I did like, I didn't get that from episode one. Yeah. Got this from episode two, and I'm like, okay, it's going strength to strength already. Yeah. It's a yeah. good sign. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and we see that the barber shop is the hub of the local community, quite mm-hmm. literally. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Bef- Loads of stuff going on. Absolutely. Well, before we get into it, this is a spoiler-filled podcast for Luke Cage. We do cover our episodes uh, one episode at a time throughout Luke Cage. This is our second episode coming out on October Fourth, uh, we're recording it on September twenty fourth, just ahead of the release of, of Luke Cage. So we haven't got any feedback in yet, obviously. Uh, but if you want to send in your feedback, you can email us to feedback at defenderstvpodcast dot com or leave us some feedback over on the website at defenderstvpodcast dot com just by clicking on the feedback button that you're going to record about ninety seconds of your thoughts, and we'll drop it into the episode before we release it. Uh, hopefully, you've been enjoying Luke Cage as much as we have. And of course, you can subscribe um, and uh, review us over at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or go to any other good podcast catcher and search Defenders TV Podcast, where again, you can subscribe or leave a review. Reviews are always good because they help other people uh, find independent podcasts such as ourselves. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, get the word out there. You have friends who like Luke Cage or probably are now binging Luke Cage. Bring them over where we will discuss every nuance of this episode and this <laughs> TV show. But on top of that, as the guy said, we need feedback. More than that, we want to create this community. So as John and Derek have said, we're over on Facebook. We're on Twitter. So come to us. Talk. Let's get geeky. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 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 And if you want to share the episodes, you can share them on any of your, your own social media platforms. Hopefully, maybe you'll create your own community of friends that are listening to the podcast and watching the episodes of Luke Cage. Yeah, and of course, uh, for those of you new to the podcast, we cover the episodes with our five favorite points. Good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, we go through the, the episode uh, and look at our five main aspects that we really liked, maybe didn't like so much or whatever, and we discuss them through. 
Um, but I think before we uh, start on that, we normally give um, a few little details about this episode. Uh-huh. So, Derek, um, who was the writer and director of this episode, Code of the Street? Well, for the second episode in a row, Chio Coker, the uh, creator of the show and showrunner, uh, wrote the episode. Uh, it was directed again by Paul McQuiggan, the uh, director of Sherlock, a lot of Sherlock episodes and the movie Lucky Number Seven. So not a huge amount extra to add this time because obviously they did the first episode as well. One thing though, just with, uh, with Paul's directing style, especially with Sherlock, mm-hmm. you see it in this episode. Yes, you the do. The jumps, the, the jump back and forth, the opening that actually is the closing. Oh, it really does feel like uh, like he's taking on taking in some of the stuff. I've definitely got a, a point about it later on as well. Oh, excellent! As we go into it. So, do we want to then jump into John's synopsis of this episode, perhaps, so we can get to the points? Sure, why not? Cornell Cottonmouth Stokes needs his stolen money back so he can cover for his cousin Maria Dillard's misuse of public money that was used to fix up his club, Harlem's Paradise. With Chica gone to ground, Cottonmouth Shades and Tone make an ominous call to Pop's barber shop, where Chico used to work, to try and find him. But little do they know that the NYPD detectives Knight and Scarf, investigating the murders of Dante and Shamik, have also taken an interest in his whereabouts. The detectives call on Pops, who, feeling responsibility for Chico's late father, Fredo, asks Luke to track him down before Stokes and the police get to him. With Chico located... A parley is set up with Cottonmouth for the exchange of his money and Chico's safety, but an unexpected tip-off to Tone and Shades leads to unintended repercussions that break the code of the streets and set as a Tone and Luke Cage on a very different path in Harlem. So, boys, before we actually get into the points, is there any general thoughts that we want to talk about now? Again, I think, for me, like I love that this was all focused very much around Pops' barbershop. Mm-hmm. Like, a complete hub. I mean... Loads of different things like tragedy, uh, comedy, fun, uh, history, loads of it. And, mm-hmm. and a few people from some other shows uh, popped up in, in this episode to say hello and cause utter chaos in the process. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. Turk, damn you, your big mouth. But now he's scooted back down to downtown, to mm-hmm. Hell's Kitchen. And oh, I have a point on him too. But there's one bit I wanted to bring up with you guys. Mm-hmm. So, in the previous show that we did cover, which was Jessica Jones' midway points of Daredevil 1 and Daredevil 2, uh, we had a great little thematic piece that we used to always do. I used to say, we, I mean, John, mm-hmm. uh, you had Whiskey Watch. <laughs> I did. I did. And, and um, strangely, I have a Whiskey Watch for, for this episode as well. Interesting. Oh, wow. In fact, it's one of my points. Mm. Oh, okay, brilliant. What I wanted to suggest is... This, what we're seeing here in two episodes in, is a book watch. Yeah, exactly. For all new library heads out there, we will, we can do a book watch. And this actually loads. I suspect, I, well, I hope that they keep on doing it because, like, it, it's been really good. And I suppose, um, actually, this is going to be my first point. I'm going to kick it off. Um, it is that, um, Again, I I kind of love that discussion between Pops and Luke Cage at the start. The whole, um, the history, the history. I mean, going through things like Shaft, going through uh, Walter Mosley's Little Green and, and Easy Rawlins, but and also then talking about Christmas Atticus. Um, you know, a really little summary of some important 
figures uh, in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Crispus Atticus or Atticus, I think it is, um, you know, was is widely held as being one of the first casualties, if not the first casualty of the uh, American War of Independence um, in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, shot by the British um, at, at, at the start of that war for, for independence. You have... Um, Walter Mosley, and um, effectively, you know, writing literature where you have Easy Rawlings as black character as the central detective, you know, in, in its day, and um, a huge sort of uh, change in, in what would have been expected, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, in, in that sense, and 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 but really consumable as well, and obviously, you know, um, for me anyway, at least Shaft being a, certainly a, a huge um, sort of cultural icon from the seventies. Um, in that era of film, so uh, I know it was remade recently, um, maybe about ten years ago now. With at this Nick stage, Fury himself, yeah. with Nick Fury himself, yeah. So, um, you know, just a few little snippets of this, and of course, it all comes back at the end, where uh, you know, with um, the the guy holding the gun to Luke Cage's head, mm-hmm. um, he recounts the the Christmas. Attic's uh, story right in front of the headquarters for uh, Maria Dillard's um, political sort of campaign yeah. and, and and the new centre that she kind of wants to do in his name, sort of appropriating his name. And I suspect that Luke Cage probably feels that it's slightly inappropriate that she's doing that, mm-hmm. given the bag that she's holding as she walks into her office. Yeah, um, And I just, you know... I, I thought that all coming together and finishing off the the episode was really cool. So, yeah. so that's um, book watch is Walter Mosley's Little Green um, detective series. And actually, Little Green is Easy Rollins comes back from what they think is the dead and um, does sort of detective work to mm-hmm. find out various things. And of course, here we have Luke Cage. Um, People may have thought he had died in prison, given the experiment, um, coming back. And we learn from Pops that he's good at tracking people down, that mm-hmm. he used to do it for a living. Um, so, you know, the, there's that similarity um, the, in, in a nutshell between these two characters. Absolutely. I kind of like that we're doing Bookwatch. I like that, that Pops describes him as the first from the first time he met Luke Cage. He was the well-read criminal um, or ex-con. Uh, I really like that idea that this is this is going to be the thing for the show that he's going to have a book that'll be uh, that'll hopefully express something about about the episode. Uh, speaking of which, my first point, much like our last episode, my first point is about the name of the episode and its connection to the Gangstar song. Yeah, so pretty obvious one here to be to be completely fair. I didn't have to do a huge amount of work here. Uh, the episode's called <laughs> "Code of the Street." It is the song itself is referencing the fact that young kids growing up in New York. Uh, they kind of jump into criminality for fun, you know, stealing a car here and there, uh, beating up a couple of people, and then it gets worse and gets worse and gets worse, you know. And then, but you do have to respect the code of the street. What you see in this episode is very much that that there is a code there, uh, which one of the guys crosses over the line on uh, and is taken out by Cottonmouth uh, for that reason. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So very, very much, very expressive in the song uh, about this fact, and Cottonmouth calls it out. He says there is supposed to be. Uh, rules to this shit in the city, you know. Um, you wouldn't think so. By the way, this guy acted as kind of the the phrase there. So not too difficult uh, to make the connection between why this song was chosen as the name of the episode. Yeah, the thirty floor fall. <laughs> oh god, uh, yeah. And the the, the 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 pure venom coming from Cottonmouth 
when he yeah. calls him Cottonmouth. I'm like, oh, that's, oh, that's kind of very much premonition of what's to come. I'm like, yep. someone's going to call him Cottonmouth and shit is going to go down. Absolutely. There were a few moments in, in this episode where, quite frankly, I was kind of curling into uh, the back seat. I was kind of recoiling slightly from the screen because I was wondering what is going to happen. Like, Cottonmouth is so ominous, so sort of threatening in, in this. Like, pure, it's this, you know, the, it, it's the swan on the lake. It's the serene calmness that he holds. But underneath, in his head, he is just processing it a million times a minute and he can switch to the black swan kind of in an instant. Absolutely. And, and really sort of... um take out his fury like it, it it's really really good i think and um, this that really kind of just had me wondering what was going to go down and i, I did kind of was like trying to reach for the pillow a bit maybe mm-hmm. you know the cushion um just just because um i thought it was going to be pretty gruesome yeah yeah absolutely and i like the connection within the song and obviously the flashback to the three guys as kids uh, together with uh, Chico's father, Cottonmouth, and um, and Pops, all as young kids, getting the description as to why he's called Cottonmouth and why Pops is called Pops. Very interesting. Didn't expect that. Thought that was all going to be about him being a friendly father figure to the neighborhood. It's not. It's because he goes snap, crackle, pop, and then knocks a guy out. Uh, very interesting. Cottonmouth, because he'd lost a number of teeth. Uh, people were calling him Cottonmouth because he can't eat any solid foods, basically. So you can see why he <laughs> takes that very offensively when people are <laughs> calling him Cottonmouth. So uh, quite a, quite a cool, cool idea. Yeah, no, and I, I just one bit I want to ask you guys is, uh-huh. do you think he's slightly too close to Fisk in the portrayal at this point? At this point, in that we talked about that, that Fisk back in when we, season one, this that felt like deja vu to me just in this last few minutes, right? Because we were talking about that, that almost like coiled adder, like yeah, Wilson Fisk, where everything's serene and calm, and then in no, moments na- notice he flips. And I'm wondering, are they just doing it for this point because of the relationship he had with Pops, or is this a very much? It's this is now Cottonmouth is the black kingpin. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, the similarities there, mm-hmm. absolutely. But I, I think, um, I think the the important difference is that from the get go, Cottonmouth is a known criminal. I mean, is effectively, yeah. Yeah. And, and we do find this out that, um, you know, the relationship between um Cottonmouth and Mariah is that they're cousins, and like she doesn't want to be seen with him. So, I mean. There was none of that suggestion with Kingpin, but I mean, it is one of those things that, you know, psychopaths, sociopaths are much more prevalent. Uh, they're not all these killers that they are there in day to day life. So yeah. that, you know, this kind of behavior is, is, is normal. It's kind of to an extent passive aggressive. I mean, yeah. in, in this episode, because of, um, how he was in Pop's barbershop, because of, um, those kind of ominous moments. There was a moment where I thought that he was potentially going to do in uh, Mariah uh, mm-hmm. in his club mm. when they were talking 
uh, about and chatting between themselves whilst mm-hmm. the the music was playing. I really thought something bad was going to happen, and um, and I like that because I think it really keeps you guessing as the audience about what what is his motives, what drives him, what is he going to do. I do think he probably is a bit more level compared to Wilson Fisk. I maybe, think. maybe, yeah. To I an do extent, li- I do like the idea though, because obviously there has been a void left by Kingpin going off to prison and at the end of at the end of Daredevil season one. We don't know whether this takes place after the end of season two of Daredevil. I presume there's not going to be a huge amount of crossover there, but we know it's taken place after Wilson Fisk has been taken down. So there is a need now for a new Kingpin of crime, and maybe Cottonmouth's going to step up to that. You know, maybe that's maybe that's his path. He's going to step up to take over the other gangs of Harlem and maybe the rest of New York. You never know. He could be looking for that expansive, uh, expansive role at the top of the top. But you know? again, we don't have Diamondback mm-hmm. uh, in, in in the show yet. So, um, you know, what's the relationship here? I mean, this is slightly like Wilson Fisk in that we didn't see him for mm-hmm. the, the first two episodes i don't think and then you know he came bursting onto the scene in episode three or four i i can't quite remember but so i mean there is that similarity i think going on here as well and chris what's your first point i'm gonna go straight out to it oh pop Uh, oh i just i know i said in uh episode 75 when we're reviewing episode one of luke cage it's just that it still hurts I know. They uh, built up this character as this loving, caring father figure type for this Harlem community. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they gave him the backstory that he wasn't a, a saint. He did have the snap, crackle, pop background. He had this code or this understanding like the Switzerland bit with Cottonmouth. So because of this relationship that they had had, uh, Cottonmouth has almost given Pops this this basic neutral ground area that he will not go near him. And so that basically it was alluded to that Pops was this kind of very much savior character he took the kids in. Mm-hmm. But that's even that's potentially even more of a reason why it was it was painful to watch almost and it's like literally from just one one episode and i talked at the very beginning of this about the the camera work uh that the, the director had used he slowed down the camera as the bullet entered pop's neck yeah yeah and i was like oh no he's dead i was really like no it's not yeah. he's but chico may be alive by the way did you notice that no Chico had a, uh, an oxygen mask on himself, I whereas Pops that. was in the full autopsy bag or the the coroner bag. Right, I was like, ah, okay, so Chico may be back. Um, but you yeah, know, I think it's just it, it's quite sad now, and I know it was the perfect thematic kind of reasoning that they put it in is that mm-hmm. this is the turning point for Luke. Exactly. Yeah, we were wondering what this was going to be for a while in terms of. What was the what was the lever that was going to push Luke over the edge to become this hero for Harlem rather than a hero for hire, but a, a hero for Harlem? And this is it. The, by the way, that scene, but we can get to it in a bit. That scene was amazing. Where like Tones coming down the stairs mm-hmm. and in slow mo with the two machine guns, and you see everyone slowly start the realization. Fantastic acting by the the whole cast there. Yeah, um, but absolutely. just really that was I was just. Oh, pop is basically my point. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I mean, I like I think um, you know Frankie Faison um, really in a very short time, you know, ultimately two episodes, just the warmth of his character, but then the depth of the character in that, you know, he had been on the wrong side of the tracks. He'd done some time or done a lot of time. He knew the bad people, but he had kind of come out on the other side and had taken a different path. And I mean, you know, but with then in addition to that, he, there was a warmth about him that he's looking after Chico um, you know, I mean, that, that moment where, you know, he doesn't know whether he wants to hug him or effectively punch him when yeah. Chico walks back through the door. You know, he's asking, he's, he's calling in his chips, he's calling in his favors, uh, with Luke Cage, you know, please go and track him down. Let's get him safe and then let's do it by the code. And, you know, the history that he has. So, like, in a very short time, and I mean, this just shows the quality of the actor and also the writing and um, just how they have Establish this character with such a connection to Luke, a warmth, um, and yet a hugely complex history that he's managed to get across to the audience. And I really, I, I think that's like fantastic. And that then, you know, by the end of episode two, you are going pops. Oh my God, he, he is dead. You know, we learn that he is effectively Luke Cage's father-in-law here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so, you know, it, it's a, it's another, sharp emotional like knife to luke cage which you know first of all it was his wife and now it's his wife's father his father-in-law so um like this is yeah great it's it's a meaningful connection Mm -hmm. for for luke cage to to change here absolutely absolutely uh john do you want to take some at your next point yeah, my next point is another wire reference. I know we've done a few here uh, before, and it's also my whiskey watch. Um, so we see Misty Knight and Raphael Scarf sat on the bonnet of a police car. Mm-hmm. You can say hood of the police hood car. Hood of a police car, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I um, <laughs> sat on the hood of a police car drinking a bottle of whiskey. In this case, it's Jameson's whiskey. Um, obviously, we're an Irish podcast, and one of the things we noticed was that Jessica Jones doesn't like Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. She's more of a Scotch girl. Um, but they're there on the hood, drinking whiskey, getting drunk, discussing the day's cases and all that, and about how surely Luke Cage must have been like injured. He has bullet holes in his T-shirt. Mm-hmm. This immediately took me back to... Um, Bunk and McNulty under an underpass somewhere in Baltimore, um, drinking on the hood of the, of their, their car, uh, getting drunk. I think even McNulty probably had sex, uh, under there as well at one, so. one yeah. stage. So, um, okay. They've still got a lot of catching up to do in New York compared to Baltimore, <laughs> uh, as to what cops do in their free time. But I mean, like, uh, just that nice little, nod to to that um i think was really probably quite nice yeah. whether it was supposed to be like that or whether it's just by sheer coincidence i don't know but i think just me, the reference of scarf turning yeah. around to uh turning around to misty and going you're drunk when she makes the assumption that potentially luke is a powered individual and he goes oh you're drunk look at you um, which is just exactly like what bunk would say when mcdulty makes a leap during his yeah so that's really um that that's one of what, one, cool. one of my little uh uh sort of things for for people to watch out is is maybe some of the wire references yeah, if there cool. are um them or you know i, I don't want to overcook the wire reference yeah. but i mean to me 
that it, it overheat felt, the yeah. wire. <laughs> oh yeah, um, I, I didn't, but I, I you know, it, it felt it, it felt like good familiar to me. Absolutely, um, yeah. So we're not talking. Going to talk about Luke Cage following the money then. No. <laughs> okay. Well, he did, didn't he? <laughs> he did a bit. Yeah. He did a bit, but we'll leave that one. Um, speaking of Misty Knight, uh, I want to talk about my favorite scene of hers in this episode: the basketball scene. My oh god, god so cool. yes, <laughs> that was a really, really like liked her challenging the young kids in uh, in Harlem, um, where they're just kind of looking at her as a normal woman, and not only a woman, she's also a police woman. So you don't trust her, you don't talk to her. And she challenges them to a game of uh, a game of basketball, one on one, five baskets each, and makes what three shots, three three point shots um, that we see on screen, and they are fantastic. I love that she's got this attitude that she's that she really works the works the uh, the style to put the guy down as well. He's kind of going, you know, uh, she she throws the ball at him and goes ladies first, you know, uh, really nice style about her in this in this scene, really playful, but again gets across the point that she owns this basketball court. Uh, nobody could take that away from her. Love that she's already got her name uh, written in the corner of the basketball court, reserved for the special stars of the local uh, the local community who have played really well in that court before. Love that little touch. Oh yeah, and eighty seven was it? That was when she owned the court. Maybe, maybe that seems like a, a long time ago for Misty Knight. I know. But, that's why I saw the eight seven. I was like. I don't know whether it's a year or whether that was the score in the game, maybe, or, or the uh, number of yeah. baskets she yeah. she had, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like going, that 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 she'd that, be like twelve. Yeah. Well, I was more going. She'd be a lot younger. I was like, huh. Maybe she no. owned it when she was six. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> hey. Hey. Some I met some six year olds out in basketball courts just in Dublin, and they're scary enough. So yeah. No, it could be. Sorry, John, you were going to say. I, I really loved how, um, like, the, the guy she was up against kind of went to hand her the, the basketball, but then put it at her feet. And mm. she's just kind of there going, wow. Oh. I like a, a reaction. Yeah. Like, we're going to play it like this, are we? And then, like, she's doing all this in, in a, they're not high heels, but they're, 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 they're not low not flat, heels. Like, they're not yeah. flat. So, um, you know, Additional props to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Chris, do you want to take some of your next points? Yep, no, definitely. And I want to chat about the the, the show of Luke's power. Mm-hmm. His powers, I should say, the, the, the unbreakable skin. Which actually also, additionally, I found out he used to be called Iron Skin right. and it's been retconned recently to Titanium Skin. Oh, interesting. Anyway, completely, completely aside. But I wanted to talk about actually the, the bullets bouncing off his skin. Mm. And so we've got two fantastic, um, views of this in this episode. In that, the, at the beginning, obviously, in Pop's barbershop, uh, as the, the bullets are blasting through, you see them, the first bit is where it bounces off his chest and you can see it full on bounce shrapnel. And then when he starts protecting the other child and they are bl- blasting off his back, leaving these gaping holes of burning singed fabric, mm-hmm. pristine skin underneath. Love to know how they did that. It's very cool, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And really then, cool. And then I think we have to mention his abs at least once <laughs> in an episode. Um, but when he takes that gun and then just literally holds it directly and just shoots and you see full on sparks. Yeah. 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 I yeah. was like, Oh, oh so that's cool. A, nice. 
Um, and I just want to see more. Like, I think the, the, the fun part of this character is he is super strong. I want to see him go in and full on break things apart and yeah. like break chains, have some kind of braces on at some point with chains hanging like. I definitely I, want to see more of Luke Cage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, John, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is the, um, the Hannibal forensics of, oh, yes. of Misty Knight right at the oh, start yeah. where, you know, she's zoning out and Raphael is like saying, you've got to look at the detail. You just stood there kind of zombied out looking at the, the, the board with all the photos and, and, and all the, those different things up, um, on the court board. And I, I like it. She's transported back. And to me, this just reminded me of the, the Hannibal series. Um, that we covered over on TV podcast industries and just how, um, you know, the, the scenes are recreated and she, she's figuring it out. And, you know, from that, she's, it basically prompts them to go after Chico that really, you know, it looked like he wasn't the one prepared to do any of the killing. He really didn't want to do this. He was probably just after the dosh and, and ultimately, you know, he's now in deep water, uh, over it. So. That was really cool how, how they did that kind of work. And again, that links very much into a Sherlock type of, um, how Sherlock would do this as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, with, for Paul McGuigan, um, you know, it, it, it's another reference to that kind of camera work and that kind of idea of how yeah. you, a detective recreates the scene. Um, so I, I really, I really thought that was cool. And it just remind me, Sherlock and Hannibal. Yeah, I definitely was expecting Misty to say, and this is my design. Yeah, just like, exactly. just like in Hannibal. Exactly. I love the recreation of the scene. I thought it was cool seeing it, uh, with her walking through it and things going on all around her. It looked, it, it was just really well put together. Really cool idea. Actually, I really liked that. I, for a second, I didn't know what was going on when the <laughs> I first, was I was literally like, Holy shit, she in another gun battle. Oh, yeah. And then it, it made sense. Um, I, I like the use of it. And it's very, very Sherlockian, if we want to call it okay. that. Okay. We uh, have a new Sherlockian. word. People. Yeah. I've got to coin that phrase. Um, but I'm kind of, I don't want it to go too far. I don't want, so we now know that she is use does use this. A lot. She stares off into the distance as he says to her, you're staring at that wall, it's scary. Mm-hmm. But I don't want that to be used a lot because then it's like, she's going to, now I, I, I'm calling this and I'm hoping I'm wrong. She's going to look back at the scene and she's going to be looking at a photo of Luke and then she's going to be figuring out how all the bullets bounced off him and then she's going to come to the realization that he's powered. Right. And I'm like, no, because then you're going to use it on Pop's place, then you're going to use it on some other place. When we know he goes down a hallway, he has his own hallway scene, she's going to be using it on the hallway scene, going, well, if he's powered and he's barging through with a door, <laughs> I'm like, no, maybe, no. Maybe. It, it, it was great. I just don't want it overused. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah, agree. Absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, lovely to bring it in as a touch on the show. I'm not sure whether they're going to, going to see it every single week or anything like that. You know, they're now involved in the investigation, the two of them, so uh, I'm not too sure how much other investigation they're going to be doing. Um, but we put, we may see it once or twice more in the, in the show and that's fine. Um, definitely one of the things with Hannibal. I remember saying it when we were doing those podcasts, uh, that if it was used every single episode, yeah. it would get really, really irritating. Luckily, they pull back from it pretty quickly as yeah. well. That style, but it's a cool, interesting way of, way of doing things. Uh, not many people watched Hannibal either. So it's good to use something like that again. <laughs> yeah. So Derek, what's your next point? I'm going to take Turk Barrett. 
Can I take turn? Oh, you can. Go you for can. it. Yeah, Although that can. is one of my points of as well. Course, yeah. We're all going to talk about Turk. Everybody wants Turks to talk about Turk. Yeah, Turk Barrett coming over from Daredevil Season 1. He was in Daredevil Season 2, and he was in the bridging comic between uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones. So he's been involved in all of the shows, even if, only, if one of them was only a comic book version. Um, so pretty cool to see him coming over to Luke Cage. I love his reaction, and that's all I'm going to talk about. I'll let you guys talk about uh, the damage that he does. But I just love his reaction to Harlem, which is like, you know, I've taken a break from from uh, Hell's Kitchen, getting out of there because it's a bit crazy. And then after, you know, one day, two days in, in Harlem, <laughs> he's like, you guys are crazy. I'm going back up where it's safe and normal. Up in and Hell's most Kitchen. of that was because he was playing chess. <laughs> exactly. I know. Yeah. But uh, kind of cool that he that he inserted himself in in Pop's Barbershop to, uh, to basically monitor them is what it seemed like. You know, he was playing chess the whole time, but it seemed like he almost placed himself there to tr- to get information on Chico because the, the call had been put out by Cottonmouth. To find Chico, yeah? Yeah, definitely. So. Like, he is a wily operator, and the thing is... Well, he tries to be. By doing that... <laughs> well, he is, because he saw Chico, and mm-hmm. he's caused untold damage. Uh, he is the, um, you know, the reason why Luke Cage goes into the business, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Certainly now. Um, you know, he does the tip-off, and doesn't get a tip. That's right. <laughs> For me, I just, I went from, I always loved this character in the other shows. Um, what I did discover was that I liked the, the chess scene, the, the banter back and forward between Turk and I don't actually have, we don't think we've been introduced to the other gentleman's name in the, the barbershop. Uh, but when they were playing chess, that was mm-hmm. good banter. It was. And then they just straight away made him very dislikable. Because he just walked in and then straight away he left. And you're like, oh, no, Turk was all about himself. Just selling, like, anytime Daredevil brings the Smackdown on him, he's like, look, look, I'm just I'm just here to make money. I'm just doing my thing. And then here you fully see the the dark side of Turk. The the Turkish delight dark. (laughs) The dark Turkish delight, if you want to call it. I don't know. I'm glad he's going back to Hell's Kitchen. I'm glad it was just kind of a nice cameo, per se. Um, But they have made him now a more dislikable character. I I agree, but I suppose in Turk's defense, and he's one of those characters, he probably didn't know what he was signing up to here. He probably didn't know uh, who he was handing Chico over to. He may have gotten the call going, you know, 20 grand if you see this guy in, uh, in Harlem. Cool, I'm down for that. That's going to give me some money. I'll get the money, get it paid. Stupidly, of course, he gives the full information to the guys that are supposed to be paying him before he gets the money. So oh, yeah. that's obviously Turk's mistake. That's his standard. But uh, but then he follows them down, you know, and then goes back to Cottonmouth's place, bumps into them during their during the well, they're hashing out what the details of what happened, I suppose, over in the post barbershop. So. Again, another stupid Turk Barrett move, you know. Um, he's, he's had a couple of those before. So, uh, so he kind of falls through the situation rather than him being totally evil or totally dark. I think he was just trying to get the money out of, out of Cottonmouth and then following up to get the money, just doing stupid things, uh, and putting himself in stupid situations, really. Yeah. And I suppose one of the, the, the nice bit now that we do know the actual information is now his, uh, his raison d'etre with, uh, Misty Knight. That we now know his rap sheet is a hell of a lot longer than we originally thought. That's true. Yeah. He's well known by Misty Knight. He's not even from Harlem. He's from Hell's Kitchen. And he's he's known to her. And I was like, oh, I was kind of hoping she was going to be some kind of... He was going to be some kind of informant for her or something. Because I thought that would be really a nice... 
that would be really cool because I could then connect her to Daredevil quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I love how she describes it, though. It's that your your record has so many hits it could put out its own record. Yeah. <laughs> That's, really cool. That's a real Misty Night phrase. I like it. I like it. Yeah, and also um, when he sends the message to Tone about uh, the location of Chico, again another little Sherlock motif there uh, with the, um, the the text message popping up on the screen. That's right. Yeah, I really like that because it's, uh, it's something that you see in in Sherlock. Something that I think I I was introduced to in Sherlock, uh, where you see exactly what the text message is that's coming in or that's going out. Uh, what I liked about this one, a slight tweak from Sherlock. It has predictive text as well, yeah, yeah. which I thought was quite cool. Yeah. That was cool. <laughs> so it's so it's putting up the wrong words on screen and then making them into the actual text message, which I just think is a really nice touch. Chris, do you want to take us on with your next point? I sure do. So I'm going to talk about the speech at the end. Oh, yeah. That just... I'm hoping that this was the speech that they gave Mike Coulter to actually audition with, and that's what how he won it, because that beautifully... Beautifully, beautifully delivered. It was really yeah, good. Wasn't really it was just the fo- he, he looked so angry. He yet calm. He looked like he was ready to snap that poor kid, yeah. but mm-hmm. didn't. He was restrained to a degree, but passionate, like really yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. The poor kid who was holding a gun on him. <laughs> yeah, well, like <laughs> no, no, I get the, it. the poor kid who was holding a gun on a superpowered guy with bulletproof skin who could snap him like a twig. Absolutely, <laughs> literally. Absolutely. And I just think it was brilliantly brought through, like yeah, the definitely. the the theme that we have, which is this black, powerful guy that the, the center was named after the story of that and told in a way that made sense to me a about mm-hmm. 30 well, something caucasian guy from dublin mm-hmm. ireland i went oh that's a really cool story and i really like it. it's the powerful message except i was like oh wow okay i didn't think that would translate yeah. but it does really does. and really does. it was just the it was a beautiful delivery and then obviously i've already talked about the torso bullet thing mm-hmm. that was a perfect that was a cherry on top i think really the, actually no the cherry on top was the poor kid running away <laughs> did you see <laughs> go back there. watch how he runs he, it's not a, yeah. it's not a it wasn't a kind of like sprint it was like legs flailing in the air kind yeah. of run get me what out you guys of here fast yeah no really really enjoyed it now obviously you know luke cage came from uh jessica jones so he was obviously in that show for quite a while i wonder if this is just the benefit of having uh, an actor who's played the character on another show four or five episodes obviously he's come over with the property to chio coker um effectively he's already cast when chio coker comes on board and says right this is what i want to do with the character and he's kind of almost looked out he's got an actor who can deliver stuff like this and it's given some really meaty dialogue here and some really good stuff to get across and he does sterling job really really thought this scene was fabulous really did yeah it was excellent i mean as i say um you know the the whole reference to the christmas uh attucks um and and just how it links to the start of the of the episode and, and it, it's actually post pop's death you know he's raw he's emotional and you know just that the final coup de grace, I suppose, of it all, which is that he sees then uh, Mariah Dillard, as I said, um, going into her office with the bag, um, which he had seen with Chico. So, Mm. you know, that connection between uh, the two cousins, um, you know, and that that connection here with Pop's 
death is now uh, ha- has been made by him. So, like, you know, he's even probably more pissed, to Absolutely. be honest. And, I mean, uh, what was the... The cousins, it was it, Mama Mabel, wasn't it? That was the that was their kind of the the matriarch of the family that kind of pulled them together. Yeah, um, you know, it does feel like we're gonna see, we're gonna hear a bit more about her uh, in future. I hope so. I hope she's yeah. kind of like a Madame Gao type of character. Oh, that'd be amazing! You know, really a real matriarch that really um, sort of ran things. Uh, that would be cool. I think. Absolutely. I, I do think that this is the setup for the hallway scene. Well, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like this is the the he's about to go rip off the door and go straight in now. Mm-hmm. I think that's the opening that we wanted. And it was like, oh, it's gonna be amazing and blood and guts and amazingness. Um, as you know, listeners, we don't watch ahead, so we haven't seen no. episode three, and we've had to stop right before or right after the end of episode two to record our podcast. Obviously, so uh, so we'll get there. We'll get there. You may have already seen it if you're if you're listening back to our podcast after getting all the way through the episodes, but uh, we haven't. So good guess, Chris. Though I think. Yeah, definitely. And, like, I suppose for my next point, I suppose just after talking about the Mama Mabel um, and this matriarch, I just think um, the chat between Cornell and Mariah um, in his club, as they're looking over the club, as, um, you know, the the band uh, is playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, who uh, was that? It was Faith Evans. Yeah, Faith Evans. Um, oh, where was you, it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Beautiful scene. All, yeah. of all these things, respect, power, money, ancestors, struggle, um, and, and what they may mean to one another. And, you know, that Mar- uh, Mariah is there. She, she wants the respect and the power. Uh, Cottonmouth wants the money and the power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I loved how, you know, the struggle that they've had to go through and, and what their ancestors have had to go through. And they kind of bring this out and this, like, amazingly sort of deep conversation about all these different drivers in their life. Yeah. Um, and whilst they're connected, they're, they're still quite different. I'd love to know sort of Mama Mabel's kind of role in all of this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I really hope we get to maybe see something of that, you know, in, in the same way that we're probably going to get some backstory like we did in the first episode of, of Luke Cage with regards to um, Seagate Prison. To, to get that idea of how those two big antagonists are working, like we got with Wilson Fisk hmm. uh, in, in season one, because it provides that context. It gives that additional thing. And I mean, I, I love that, you know, I think a community or a group of people who have been disenfranchised for, for, for various reasons and, and, you know, given the opportunity, how these notions of power, and money mm-hmm. and rich and poor respect, disrespect and all that begin to form. I, I thought that in the club was absolutely fantastic. It really was. And it was one of my points as well. But I, I just really, the core of it for me was Cornell being so convinced that he's right, uh, in the face of, uh, Mar- Mariah, who also is convinced that this is the way to go, to go into politics, lead your community through that. You don't want to be a gangster. That's not what our, what our um, ancestor died for, and Cornell's response mm. to it, going, "No, that's exactly what they died for. They desi- they died so that people like us could rise up and yeah. take over a city." Uh, really different perspectives, both in the same family, both looking for power, both completely convinced that yeah. their way is the right so way. So good, so good to see these uh, these two actors just going at it in a great way. Really, really cool. I really think that we may see that 
that split as a family mm-hmm. in terms of we'll get a flashback where we've already seen Cornell Stokes run with Pops mm-hmm. as a kid. So maybe she was at boarding school. So she'd be a better person. And then we'll, we'll see now potentially is the flashback or the discussion of how they rejoin together because she does seem to be the very much anti everything that Cottonmouth is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I just don't understand how... I, I want to know that story. It's, yeah. it's intriguing enough. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I feel that motif of family first, that's come from somewhere. That's not just a... It's not just a saying between these two. There's something that's made them bind together and go, the Stokes are going to be working together from now on. We'll never put anybody else before us, probably. Something like that. Now, maybe that's mm. Mama Mabel. So we'll, we'll see. As yeah, we absolutely. And, and an interesting thing that uh, Cottonmouth says in um, Pop's uh, Barbershop as well is... I think, if I heard right, he calls him Henry. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I don't know whether Pops' name is, is Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he, he gives him a slap on the back as he walks out and says, you know, loyal to my folks. There is this understanding and we see the history. And again, the, the, all these different interconnections in the society and even just the flashback to, to, um, Fredo, Cottonmouth and Pops. You know, as youngsters, uh, just all these different connections and the code, how it relates to this Absolutely. code, mm. and how at the end, then again, it's it's another reason why uh, tone is chucked off the roof and uh, onto the the top of the car, like just so good. I think fabulous scene too, fabulous scene. Uh, that was also my my final point was that one, but I do want to quickly call out the other scene in the in the episode that I loved, which was the barbershop scene at the start when Cornell walks in and the tension that was dripping out of that scene when Cornell and Shades and Tone come into the barbershop with Pops and Luke kind of facing them down or Luke making the comment, you know, I've got some fresh towels here. If you've got some dirty towels, I'll take them out. No matter, no problem at all to Pops. Uh, Pops knowing exactly what he's talking about, obviously. Um, Really cool. Uh, The voice going through Luke's head where he's looking at Shades on one side, Tone on the other and going, uh, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and then we're done. Basically, I could take these guys out this quickly, you know. Uh, love that little moment. A very, a very cool, again, almost Sherlock like moment where he's playing through his head how his fighting style would allow him to take out his opponents. Uh, thought that was really cool as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I was curious though, does Shades know who he is yet? Because Shades got pretty close. He did. Like, it's like not, to be fair, when Shades first passed him, okay, he was behind a kind of shelving piece mm-hmm. with his head down. Maybe he be, he was just any other uh, man. But this was, Shades was right there. He was yeah. right there. Like, this is like, I'm like, I in my head it was like, Shades going to get up and say something to him straight away. There's a little moment between the two of them uh, at the end yeah. of the kind of conversation that Shades has just after Luke goes out, or just before Luke goes out to get the tells and make that reference, um, where you kind of think that Shades has realized who he is, and that's why Luke is making the comment to Pops, potentially. Luke's kind of seen it in his eyes and gone, oh, okay, actually, this guy does know who I am. Maybe it's my chance to take him down before he tells anybody else whatever it is that Luke's trying to hide from them, you know? Mm. Um, so I think it's absolutely possible that he knows who he is but doesn't want to say anything for some reason, yeah? Yeah. Uh, maybe they were friends in prison, and now they're on the opposite side. He, uh, Shades doesn't want to reveal the connection in front of Cottonmouth, perhaps something like that. Yeah, it's, we did get the eyeglass, the glasses piece again. Mm-hmm. 
again. So I am thinking there is something here in that, like, again, I'm probably reading into it, but Shades takes off his shades and looks at Luke, and I'm going, please tell me he's telepathic or can read, like, <laughs> body language or something that, or he can see in the dark, and that's why he has to take his shades off, put shades on consistently, because he's, like, like super... I don't know, but there's something there. I am going to go on record now and say that I just think it's the standard of you're cooler than cool if you wear shades indoors at all times so nobody can see your eyes and nobody can see what your real feelings are because that's where you see the eyes. You see you see where people's real feelings are through their eyes. So I think that's the only reason you wear shades. It and makes it look cool. And that pitch black midnight at like on top uh-huh. of a roof outside? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Just like okay. the Blues Brothers. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! Let's not bring them into it. That was a whole other level of cool. Absolutely. <laughs> this guy, this guy looks like some mix between Drake and a, a Pokemon. <laughs> are you going to I'm insult le- the Azurasi here? Or do you want I, me to I, edit that I, out? I, no, I'm going. I'm sticking with this. I'm keeping with this because Drake, just, Drake, that little you know the guy who does the hotline bling with the really bad dance. I could see Shades doing that really bad dance with the, the with his necklace kind of swinging. I'm just like, ah, oh. I, I I do get it though. I do get it, and I I think I'm trying to build in something because I would like after Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. we got with Jessica, we saw these great powerhouses of powers fighting the two different styles. One very much strength, one very much mind. Mm-hmm. And I, as much as I love this Kingpin Daredevil season one piece, this is a different, it is different because Luke is so powered. Yeah. He is unbreakable. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, there needs to be something going against him. So maybe Diamondback is similar or it, it's something It's entirely like possible. That. Remember. Diamonds are unbreakable, so it's it's interesting that that is the villain for the show. Yeah, yeah like I, I think that that is going to come definitely, and it, it has to. But I also think that um, I think it's nice. I think it's a nice contrast. I think um, that the the guy that would be the big bruiser or, or the puncher in, in all of the three Marvel Netflix to date is actually the one that reads the books yeah. and actually tries mm. to recoil from the violence as much as he can. And in this, and obviously with what's happened now with Pops, this is where, um, that, that's the, the straw that's broken the camel's back. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd be interested now to see like how that goes. Yeah. Absolutely. So Chris, what is your last point? I'm going to talk about Mercedes. Nice. Okay. Oh, I think yeah. you might have got my point like, as well. Excuse me, my name is Misty. Yeah. It's like, oh, that was a fantastic scene. Uh, it's it certainly was. It was just, it was great to see her in full detective mode with Pops. And you could see that they were friends, but he understood that she was kind of kept going her detective, all that. Yeah. But I loved then when Luke came out. Definitely. That was my piece. It was like the oh, meeting of so Misty good. and Luke and the, there was tension, there was humor, mm-hmm. there was actual Loved like, it. Aggra- a- aggravation, but then there was also sexual tension mm-hmm. and it was just the, the banter back and forth. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, I did love the Jessica Jones, Luke Cage. I know that's hopefully where they're going to go to, mm-hmm. but this. Already back been and there. Forth, 
Yeah, okay, so it's the rebound girl. I did love this banter. This is the kind of relationship I do enjoy, which mm-hmm. is, okay, there is that a bit of, like, will they, won't they? Does he hate her? Does she hate him? Yeah. Are they going to be, they're going to be on the wrong sides of the, the, the kind of the law? Um, and then just that comment that topped it off is like, we just had coffee. I love it. I and love I was it. like, going, yeah, yeah cool. and, coffee. And I really like Luke's, uh, Luke's shot back across the room at her with, uh, I see you, you, uh, have better clothes for detecting than you did for auditing. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. is <laughs> a nice little touch. And she talks about telling the truth and he goes, yeah, person, like telling you their real name. Like, yeah. and he looks straight at it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, really good. Really, really yeah. good. Yeah. Really it was a, just a fantastic scene. I would love a buddy cop episode between the two of them uh-huh. where it is that level where they're shooting jibes at each other uh-huh. and it's the odd there is that sexual tension and there's going to be humor and they even just the two of them breaking down one of say cottonmouth's gang rings in a in a warehouse that that for like 15 minutes would be an amazing yeah part of it because he that they have a bit of witty banter almost like like I'm reminded of Lethal Weapon. Right, right. I just did love this scene. Uh, John, do you have a final point? That was my final point as well, was Mercedes Knight and that whole scene uh, down in the barbershop. As I say, for me, I love the fact that, you know, Pop's send-off was how the barbershop was just this whole um, kind of scene for throughout this episode. Yeah. I really kind of liked it, you know, from the history lesson through to... um, you know, the, the ominous sort of arrival of Cottonmouth through to this kind of cheeky little bit, um, with, um, between Misty and, and Luke and, and Pops actually sort of clocking it and t- through to obviously the tragedy of Pops getting snotted, yeah. uh, in, in his own, uh, place. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's the final points, uh, for this yeah. episode. Uh, quick note for me, just that um, another scene I absolutely loved was, uh, Mariah Dillard, um, and Stokes standing across from each other. And Stokes says to her, Are you okay with this? And she goes, <laughs> Well, I'm okay with the extortion part, but the murder, no, I am not okay with <laughs> yeah, the murder. No, I will but... never be okay with the murder. That it was really well delivered, yeah, a really funny really, little moment really for, for her as well. Uh, John, any notes? Yeah. Um, we have, uh, Luke Cage basically says that he was from Chicago, which kind of links to, the, the moment after he has, um, well, he thinks he's killed Danny Rand and goes off to Chicago. In the comic books. Yeah. In the comic books. And, and Pops kind of says, well, we know you're not, you know, where are you really from? And he's talking to him. And he's from Savannah, Georgia, from, from, uh, down in south. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there was that aspect. Um, and then I just thought it was the height of cool how, the parley exchange where Pop sends Luke Cage to the club uh, and, uh, you know, Cottonmouth thinks he's kind of being clever going, you're fired, and Luke Cage fires back at him. No, uh, I'm not. I quit before I walked in. Absolutely. Loved it. Yeah. yeah. Absolute height of cool. Really, really class. Absolutely. Do you think he ever got paid for those days of work that he didn't get in the I don't for? think so. I don't think so. That is the worst boss ever. Uh-huh. <laughs> Chris, any uh, final notes? My final point is, and I just note, not point notes, excuse me, Tone's death scene. Mm-hmm. It just, it actually just the way it was filmed. They could have done a long view shot of uh-huh. it where they saw him dragging him across, but no, it was a quick cut yeah. to him flying over the edge. It looks so, weird, so realistic. Yeah, and I'm wondering. It really did, didn't it? Yeah. I'm wondering if it was like, 
a crash mat, like literally a stunt double piece. Yeah, maybe, yeah. But it looks just so it realistic. Blew. I know the cut was the cut was as he goes over the top of the wall, like. But yeah. the camera's following then as he crushes through the car. I presume potentially the car is CGI replaced from the crash mat or something like that. But it looked pretty realistic. I oh mean, no, and that that's scary. I haven't like, seen that actor in anything me. else, and I haven't seen anything future that he's doing. I hope they didn't just throw him over a building. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I think we know is a death on scene. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I have to check and see if they have that. Uh, no animals or humans were harmed in the film. Of this, I want to just see that. If it just says animals, we're in trouble. Uh, no, absolutely. I actually, I've got one more note as well. <laughs> I actually felt in, um, I felt in this episode that. I don't know. In, in episode one, I really thought that Shades could actually, I mean, snap at some point and kill Cottonmouth. Right. I actually thought be, there was that kind of notion that um, he really didn't care much. You know, he was he in the employ of Diamondback mm-hmm. and, and all of this, and that you know, if Diamondback had ordered it, he would do that on his behalf. Right. And he he still kept that ominous tone whilst they went to Pop's Barber with. Uh, cotton mouth and tone at the start. Yep. But afterwards, when he, when he realized that tone had broken the code up on the roof, I thought it was a really nice, like subtle change in how uh, Shades interacted with, um, with Cornell Stokes was, um, that he was like, I told him not to, to break the code. And he's even saying it at the barbershop. And um, I told him not to do that, you know. Like it, it felt like yeah. he he understood that he was in the company of someone uh, like his own boss. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't get that in episode one, and that's why I, I that's why I kind of asked originally about whether there was an uneven relationship there. And this now I started to feel that you know Cottonmouth is um, asserting it. So that's just one of the, one yeah. of the notes. Nice little moment with Hiroshi, especially when he says, um, you know, I understand what Pops meant to you as a person. You know, he understands yeah, the exactly. relationship they had. Yeah. yeah, really cool. Uh, that leaves us for our own little code here, guys. Chris, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage, Season 1, Episode 2, Code of the Streets? I do. I do. I can't say that I don't. The direction, the actual cinematography, again, I'm, the reason I bring this up is that the, 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 there's not many episodes or TV shows that do take, that, that I'm taken aback by the certain shot or the way a certain scene is shot. Mm-hmm. For example, the, the best example I can give is the very first time we saw the hallway scene in Daredevil season one. Yeah. In a TV show, you're going, Oh wow, that's that that's a unique take on it. And I think this has we haven't had these hallway scenes or stuff. It's more the slow motion shot of Pop's tone going over the edge. Mm-hmm. The zoom in on uh Maria as she has Chico's bag, but you still have Luke's cage shoulder is slightly blurred. Yeah. It's very well done. Um I'm sad to see Pops go. Uh, I think they probably could have kept him for another, at least another episode, but I see from a story driven wise, this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. We now have Luke Cage as of episode three being the hero for the right reasons. Mm. Um, although I will miss the hire bit. I don't know if they'll bring that in maybe towards the end. Anyway, great, fantastic, fantastic. I completely defend this episode. Excellent. 
So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do. I think this is another great episode of Luke Cage. Really enjoyed it, actually. Uh, you know, it's keeping keeping the momentum of the storyline going. Loving Maria Dillard and uh, and Cottonmouth together. I think it's been really interesting. Love this concept of breaking the breaking the criminal code. Um, you know, it's it's always something that's been around. I think I know the criminal code <laughs> as well, even though I'm not a criminal. I think it's one of those ones that everybody knows what the code on the street is. You don't mess with your own. Some people are protected uh, that don't hurt other people. You know, it, it's great that it's been brought into the show. Uh, and uh, to see the vengeance of Cottonmouth against someone that does break this was fascinating and really, really well yeah. done. Really enjoyed it. Love Misty Knight in this episode once again. Really looking forward to seeing more of her. And Mike Coulter doing a great job again uh, with a fantastic closing scene and opening scene for this episode. Yeah, I think we've seen quite a lot of Misty Knight, actually. And John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I, I do. Um, I'm giving this four uh, bullet-riddled barbachairs out of five. Um, I, I just love the fact that Pop's Barbershop was the epicenter of, of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, from threats through to him being a fatherly figure, through to history, finding out more about Luke Cage, about Chico, about Pop's, um, through to obviously the the the, the massacre of him. Um, by, by tone. Uh, I loved the history element with regards to the literature, the little green, uh, book, uh, Christmas Atticus. But, but also, you know, we get the hint of Mama Mabel in here mm-hmm. and we see Pop's, uh, relationship to, uh, Fredo and Cottonmouth. And that explains why Chico is so important. And it ultimately ends up with, uh, Pop's death. You know, the, the, Tones fall from Grace um, down 30 floors onto the top of a car. <laughs> really cool. I mean, excellently shot. And, um, you know, again, Misty Knight's in- involvement, again, in the barbershop, really cool. O- on the basketball um, court, really cool. Um, and I have to say, like, with, with terms like Parley being thrown around and code, I did feel like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean... <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed um, all these elements um, of this episode of, of, of Luke Cage. And I, yeah, absolutely defend it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hopefully you've watched a couple of episodes over the weekend and want to send us in some feedback about them. So hopefully we're going to be dropping in a little bit of feedback around here. So we got a fair bit of feedback in over the first weekend after Luke Cage was on uh, Netflix uh, over on our Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Uh, first piece of feedback came in from John Tara Higley who says, I was a bit surprised you guys didn't dwell too much on how incredibly stylized the pacing and line delivery was. I'm glad I went back and rewatched all those 70s flicks because this was like Stranger Things but for a less well known genre and set in a current day. Uh, it was a bit jarring, but in the best possible way. I've binged since, and I'm a bit ahead. No spoilers. I can't really tell if binging has made this less noticeable, or it's not as stark in later episodes. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of agree with John. We didn't probably dwell on it. I think it's more because they, they do it now in a way that it's not as noticeable. It is blended a bit more. Mm-hmm. When you mention it, then yes, you can kind of see that there's they, they, they've broken with the three-part pacing standard that we would usually get in some of the older episodes of mm. say like Daredevil where it's like act one, act two, act three, where this is a bit more fast paced. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and the dialogue itself is definitely does feel, I think one of our other listeners, uh, Kev said that he, he felt it was much more like a black exploitation film of the seventies. Um, it does feel like that type of seventies movie, the dialogue between the characters. Uh, I did mention on the first episode that I was trying to get my ear in at the start of the first conversation, uh, they were having the barbershop and then realized they were talking about basketball, which was why I was so confused and so lost <laughs> during it. Um, but it is, it is definitely a very different paced dialogue and very differently laid out kind of scenes between all these characters yeah absolutely i mean thank thanks for the feedback john because i mean it was something i actually wasn't that um focused or or clued into i mean i think it was mainly that i was kind of expecting that type of delivery on the basis of the genre but also it it was the same with the wire i mean it's kind of very um snappy i think almost kind of poetic or um it's almost like statements that that, that are always delivered and, and so i it, it didn't worry me too much that it was that kind of delivery because i i felt that it, it kind of reflected the uh those genres like you've said and, and and have watched but also i remember that being the case sort of in the wire as well mm-hmm. um just that was um, a real sort of characteristic, I thought, of that. And I think that comes through again here. But, uh, yeah, no, thanks for that, John. Because it, it, it is certainly a very different way of doing it than we've seen in Jessica Jones yeah. and, obviously, Daredevil. So the Stranger Things of 70s black exploitation is John's basic point here. <laughs> I like that. I like that touch. Also, John Tara Higley goes on to say... Great episode. Thanks for doing this. I first started listening because I burned through all of DD season two. I was very excited and needed a podcast searched. Found a few. Yours was the best. Aww. Cheers. Thank you, John. That's, that's really nice. I'm so glad you're still with Thank us for you. our, for our Netflix coverage. Uh, our next piece of feedback comes in from Claire Payne, uh, who is a listener over on our Gotham TV podcast. So great that you've joined us over on Defenders TV podcast, Claire. Welcome to the real comic book ecosystem chris doesn't do our gotham podcast with us so no uh, i do like dc but i just marvel's better that's all i'm just saying (laughs) oh let's not get get into that (laughs) we are lovers of both marvel and dc and i've enjoyed all of their shows reasonably equally except for luke cage is slightly better than most Um, (laughs) so claire says i managed to watch two episodes last night of of the show i really enjoyed it loved the pacing loved how luke was in a community where his discussions would pop Helped him decide what to do next. Detectives Misty Knight was a fantastic character. Really enjoyed the music running throughout a very different Marvel show. So far, so good. Cheers, Claire. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly um, something, I think, different for, for Marvel, for comic book TV, I think. And yeah, I mean, it's just a really nice sort of melting pot of, of the music, the style uh, and the vibe of, of this show, I think. Definitely. Absolutely. A quick one from Ronaldo, one of our regular contributors, uh, says, like the history of Pop and Stokes or IP Pop. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, he we... really did um, go to the, the big barber shop in the sky. I think that's what I replied to, to Ronaldo. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, R.I.P. Pops, he'll be cutting the beards of St. Peter. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I really love the idea of bringing Pop and Stokes together as characters that there was, there was a history between the two of them. thought that was a really cool idea. Uh, and finally, Debbie Fisher has a question. She says, okay, stupid questions. There Uh, are no stupid questions. No such thing, Debbie. Delighted you've given us some questions here. Uh, She says, number one, Luke Cage is supposed to take place after Jessica Jones, right? After he lost the bar? Uh, Yep, definitely takes place after that. He's down in his luck. No longer has his awesome Harley Davidson. Much to my chagrin because I've put 
the Harley Davidson as our central cover photograph for <laughs> all of our coverage will occasionally doesn't even have the Harley he's, he's completely down yet maybe yes maybe he'll get it back uh, number two he says do we know why he went to jail have I totally missed something so Luke Cage lost his bar went to jail and ended up in Harlem I don't think so um, I think what's happened here is that he ran with his tail between his legs back to Harlem after losing his bar his job uh, his girlfriend finding out that his girlfriend killed his wife and obviously lost his Harley. And then I think the backstory of Luke as he, where he got the powers is going to be coming up in a future episode, but we believe that that's what happened while he was in jail. Yeah. So that's the flashbacks. I think we saw in the first episode when Shades walks through the kitchen at uh, Cottonmouth's club. Uh, Luke gets that, that quick flashback to Seagate prison. So I think the timeline is that Luke Cage has gone to jail. He's had his experimentation where he's received these powers. He's escaped or been let go and released. Um, he has then gone to Hell's Kitchen. He's lost his bar and then he's headed off back to Harlem mm-hmm. uh, after losing his bar yeah. um, and seeking uh, refuge as to what to do following that explosion in yeah. Jessica Jones. Yeah, and we think that's coming up at a future episode. We're probably going to see that backstory play out in the show. Yeah. I personally think the the, the way that they're going to do it is first off um they he he's in jail. Mm-hmm. He gets he gets locked up. The experimentation happens. He then meets Riva in jail or she's like a psychologist or Maybe. something. Yeah. He then or he breaks out or he's released, etc. They then start dating, married, that's why he needs pops and stuff. Uh then she dies. Mm-hmm. He couldn't face it based on some of the conversations between him and Pops. Yeah. I think that he then runs away. Right. Based yeah. on her death. Of course. And yeah, then because... goes, sets up the bar, etc. It's like there's a longer gap. Controversial, yeah. Chris. Yeah, no, that, yes. would make, that would make logical I sense. I think though. he knows Reva before he goes to jail. I, th- I think he does, but I think you're right that she obviously dies after he gets out of da- jail. He doesn't go out of jail and go to Hell's Kitchen. That's an interesting yeah, idea. Yeah, because it was just the Pops said... Something along the lines of when I was first introduced to you as a convict. Yes. Very, very so interesting. Was, I think that's, and based on also the flashback we had in episode one with Reva, and it sounded like she was a uh, doctor, very similar to like the Harlequin uh, character prior to her becoming Harlequin, Dr. Mm-hmm. Quinzel. Um, she was there. She's helping people in Seagate. Mm-hmm. That's where they potentially fall in love. That's where he goes, then goes to Pops. They have all that time there. So do you think she was involved in the experimentation in the company that did the experimentation on him or the doctor that did the experimentation on him? That's why she had the video of Kilgrave and of Luke. Do you think they were both involved in the same project? Yeah. And that's why Kilgrave went after to get back the thumb drive that had all those images of Kilgrave on it. Interesting. Yeah. We're going to hold off. I have this long-held theory similar to like everything's connected in standard MCU. Mm -hmm. I think everything's connected in this Marvel Netflix. Absolutely. You. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking forward to knowing more, though. Yeah. Um, I'm not too sure I agree with that. So oh. I think the bet is on. I think she's got nothing to do with the prison. Okay. Personally. Well, then how does she have all the footage? And information and knowledge. Of. Of. Uh, Kilgrave's experimentation. But that's not in Seagate. Is it? No, that wasn't in Seagate. And does she no? Does she have Luke Cage on there? I didn't think she. I thought there was something about. I, I don't remember that actually. Oh, yeah. Anyway, 
We, okay. So we'll Let's see. We'll see. see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting stuff. All right. Uh, thanks so much for that feedback, Debbie, and everybody else over on our Facebook group. Pop on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast to discuss the episodes as you go. We'll be putting up spoiler posts so you can just pop in there and leave your thoughts and not look at the ones that you haven't seen yet like we're doing. Exactly. You can place your bets on which theory will win mm-hmm. now. Team Grace. Team John. I'm just looking forward to seeing exactly what happens on the show. Uh, I've got no theory about exactly what's going to happen, but, uh, but good thoughts, guys. That was amazing feedback, wasn't it? Yeah, that was cool. Thank you so much for all your feedback. Hopefully. if not we just literally had a pregnant pause and went that was amazing feedback where there was no feedback but we hope that you do send us feedback Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely how did they do that Chris how did they do that would you like to know well I'll tell you they can go on to iTunes and they can leave us a review there with some of their thoughts they can also go over to uh, our website uh, defenderstvpodcast.com and in there they can leave us a 90 second small audio review or feedback if they will not only that we also have a facebook page where they can literally send us some of their thoughts but more importantly we have a facebook group defenders tv podcast group where they can join and they can tell us what they thought of episodes one and two so far Mm -hmm. please note if you're going to go above Episode 2, after probably October 4th, before uh, October 7th, where we'll be reviewing Episode 3, put a big giant spoilers in, because there are other people that are in there who may not be watching it as quick as other ones. Absolutely. I'll be doing the same thing as I usually do on uh, on the group. Uh, I normally make a post, which is just a spoiler-filled post, and you can post underneath that any thoughts you have in the episodes, anything you want to share with the podcast, uh, just so anybody else is watching at a different pace won't see any spoilers of future episodes. But yes, as always, thank you so much for listening. Always forward, boys. Always forward. So, just on that note, before you leave, don't forget you can also find us at DefendersCast over on Twitter. We'll be back on Friday with episode 3, a.k.a. Who's going to take the weight? Is it you? Is it me? Is it Derek? Is it John? (laughs) I don't know until I listen to the Gangstar song. But I'm listening to it all week before that comes up. So Exactly. It's the only way. We've got to figure out who's going to take the way. My right. bet's on Luke. Kind of. <laughs> I don't know why, but my bet's there. Do you think he'd be lifting a building over his head like uh, like the famous Spider-Man moment where he's lifting the whole uh, building over his head? No? no, I'm pretty much sure he's going to be bending someone. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair bet. It could be Jessica Jones with AKA in the title. <laughs> oh yes, by the way, listeners, I'm adding all the AKAs. It's not actually in the title, but no. I like it. It's also known as Jessica. It keeps Jessica keep coming in. Exactly. Well. AKA Power Man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, join us on Friday for that episode. Looking forward to speaking about it. All right, guys. See you all soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a TV podcast industries production. If you want to help out the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to us, there's some really easy ways to do it. If you can share our episodes through your social media channels like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook or Google+, that gets some extra listeners into us. 
If you want to leave us a review on iTunes or a rating, just leave a five-star rating, click the button, or go to iTunes through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll take you straight to our page and leave us a review or a rating there. That always helps out independent podcasts. And also, as always, we love to hear your feedback about the show's interaction with our audience is what we really, really love. So you can send us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.